Coming up, longer pod than usual. This one's a special one. Took 10 episodes, but episode 11, we're doing it big. First guest we've had on the pod, and it's a good friend of mine in Gary Sharp, a longtime host on 1620 The Zone, play-by-play voice for Omaha Maverick men's basketball, a mainstay in uh, the discourse around Husker athletics. Uh, Gary's been really good to me. These last uh, couple years, especially letting me be a mainstay Monday guest on the new morning show, and I figured, you know, I could give him a return game. Uh, so, talk with Gary about forty-five minutes. Not really an interview. We're not. I'm not bouncing questions off him. It's a. It's a discussion uh, about the the current state of the current Nebraska team. What they what they need to do the rest of the way. What's still in front of them. Talking about that Rutgers game. Uh, personnel. And then, of course, we talk about uh, Danny Neat, a little nostalgia talk. Uh, Gary had a very interesting perspective on uh, the Danny Neat era at Nebraska. Started it as a student going to games in Lincoln at the Devaney Center. By the end of it, was hosting the Danny Neat uh, Coaches Show on uh, on the network when at the end of uh, his tenure. So, great discussion with Gary, and obviously we'll talk about that game against Rutgers, a little preview of Northwestern, some alumni weekend talk, uh, covering all the bases going into the weekend. Um, that's why we're changing the intro. Different little intro, but it's a different pod. So uh, play that funky theme music and we'll get it rolling. Welcome into the Stretch Big Podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Bigelow. Coming at you on Friday, January the 19th, um, the day before Nebraska hosts Northwestern and their alumni weekend tilt at Pinnacle Bank Arena, and just a couple days post-mortem following a devastating defeat uh, out in New Jersey against Rutgers. Um, We're going to start looking back on that game um, from uh, Wednesday night. Um, was it Wednesday or Tuesday? I don't even know. I forget. It might have been Wednesday at this point. Yeah, it was Wednesday. All the days run together. I need to get some sleep, damn it. But Wednesday night, multiple uh, double-digit blown leads to end both halves uh, for the Huskers and an overtime uh, loss at the rack, 87-82. The loss is almost, you know, (laughs) lost... Lost in the discourse as the elephant in the room for Nebraska basketball remains the status of forward Jawan Gary, who left the game with about 13 minutes to go. Um, was just trying to get back in, uh, you know, get back on D and just came up, came up slow, a uh, little hitch, and uh, he immediately got off the court and was laying down, <laughs> you know, behind the photographers on the on the baseline in pain um you could the look on his face was immediate you know immediately like oh nope i know something's wrong and he could not put any weight down on uh, you know to walk off the court he had to be helped back to the locker room uh by uh trainer rj peating and someone else uh serving as a human crutch uh for juan and you know what followed you know in the last 13 minutes of that game yeah, like I said, is almost you know secondary to the uh, status of Gary. Fred Hoiberg said on the postgame show with Kent Pavelka and Jake Muehlheisen that he thought it was something with Juwan's foot or ankle. 
didn't want to say too much until it was evaluated uh, further. That Nebraska flew back that night. Uh, we did not get any word uh, yesterday, and he said that Juwan was on crutches um, after the injury and after the game uh, in the locker room. So that was, you know, just a, a tough visual for anyone thinking big picture on this season. And, you know, the it's kind of been a you know debate so far this season who the who the most important player is to this team and the most common answer I heard was Juwan Gary just because of all the different things he does uh his tenacity on defense uh crashing the glass for rebounds um and he's you know a double digit scorer too you know averaging around 12 a game and he you know he we've seen him hit threes we've seen him make putbacks we've seen all we've seen a little bit of everything from Jawan Gary this season, and if he is out for an extended period of time, um, you know a lot of people are fearing that he is out for the rest of the season. You know it. You know a lot of people on Twitter, including myself, saying they're not doctors, but you know what it looked like was was not pretty. Uh, Fred Hoiberg is going to talk to the media here just a, about a half an hour from well, as I sit here recording this, so we'll have we'll probably get a definitive answer on Jawan Gary's status going forward, but. Back to the game, you know, as I said, Nebraska had a 12-point lead at one point in the end of the first half, and the end of the second half, too. And both halves ended with close to 10-minute droughts, not scoring droughts, but uh, droughts where Nebraska didn't make a shot from the field. And that is not going to... You're not going to win many games doing... Many, if any, games doing that. And Nebraska... You know, Rutgers was giving them just about every chance to slam the door, put the feet, put the foot on their neck, and finish the game or put it away. And Nebraska did not take advantage of any of those opportunities. Um, Rutgers was not making free throws. I mean, Rutgers takes so many bad shots. There was not not exactly an offensive clinic going on at the rack. Um, you know. There was a point in the game where Nebraska's offense looked good. It looked fluid, like they were, you know, the ball was moving side to side, and they, you know, were hitting hitting some threes. C.J. Wilcher hit a couple. Casey Tomanaga hit a couple. Bryce Williams, you know, they looked like, you know, it looked like, um, you know, it looked like how it, it, you know, Fred Hoiberg wants it to. And but you, Juwan Gary goes out. And by the end of this game, Rutgers had 25 offensive rebounds. They also had 20 second chance points off of those 25 offensive rebounds. Um, and they also had 17 points off of Nebraska turnovers. But, you know, both these teams are pretty even. You know, they, um, you know, in terms of, you know, made threes, um, Rutgers made 11, Nebraska made 13. Um, you know, they were pretty even in a lot, but, I mean, 25 offensive rebounds, 56 total rebounds. Rutgers took 78 shots. They took 12 more shots than Nebraska took in this game. And, you know, they that's just, you know, it's not a recipe to win. Um, the fact that, you know, Nebraska was still able to, you know, get the game to overtime, I mean, it just was a kind of a, comedy of errors down the stretch the 
you know, the turnover at the end, you know, where Bryce Williams is dribbling, he dribbles it off his foot, but it goes off a records guy and rink mass reaches down. And, you know, they originally call it Nebraska ball. And I, I still don't think that that video was indisputable evidence, you know, to overturn the call. They give it to Rutgers. Rutgers gets called for a travel as after Sam Hoiberg and Bryce Williams trap uh, Derek Simpson on the inbound. And Nebraska still has another chance to win. And, they end up trying to throw a lob to the rim to Bryce Williams with three seconds to go in the game. And it's just, we later, you know, hearing from Fred Hoiberg after the game, that was not the play that was called. That's not what they drew up on the whiteboard. Um, You know, listening to, you know, the broadcast, I forget who the play-by-play guy was. I know Jess Settles was the color guy. At one point, said Kelly Pfeiffer was one of the best officials in the country, which made me raise my eyebrow a little bit. But, you know, they're getting ready to run that play. And they, he's, you know, they, they say, Fred Oiberg, he's a former NBA coach. He's got a hundred of these. And they end up, you know, Jamarcus Lawrence is the inbounder and he's throwing the ball at the rim to, you know, to try to get it to Williams. It looked like Rink Mass was supposed to set a screen. You'd probably think they're trying to draw something up to get it to Keisei Tomonaga. And, you know, it just, that end of that game, it's a like a running joke on, uh, you know, with Nebraska and Nebraska Twitter. But, I mean, that, that game was drunk. That game was falling down drunk. I mean, there was just so much dumb going on down the stretch at the end of that game. And it w- wasn't held for Nebraska's case, you know, with Gary going out. And, you know, we see... You know, Rink Mast fouled out, was not his night, uh, four points, two of 12 shooting. Josiah Alec, who you'd think would have to come in and be that energy rebound guy, he fouled out too. Your starting point guard shoots 0 for 5 from 3 in a homecoming game. Tomonaga made four threes. Williams made four. Sam Hoiberg made two big ones. That He's the reason they got back into it. You know, Sam, he made a one from the corner. And uh, one from the wing. He had two huge ones late. Sam Hoiberg continues to make big plays for this team. But, you know, CJ Wilcher, also 2 for 5. He had double digits off the bench. But just the, once again, you know, and Fred has reiterated this again and again about the importance of playing defense and the importance of rebounding. And defense and rebounding, they're both, they're intertwined just because it's all about effort. It's about heart. It's about want to do. And Nebraska to give up twenty five off- you know offensive rebounds, you know to the other team. And you know Cliff Cliff Omori. I called him Cliff Omarui on my last episode. I was thinking of Eugene Omarui, another former Rutgers guy. But Cliff Omori had fifteen boards all by himself, six on the offensive glass for for Cliff. And he's a really good player. But you know some you know. To allow 20, you're not going to win, like I said, many, if any, games with that result. And like I said, you know, Rutgers 87-82, rack, the rack is still a tough you know, place to play, tough place to win. I saw Brian Fonseca, or last name's Fonseca, I forget what his first name is. Uh, he covers Rutgers for um, one of the websites out there. And he said that that game, that that game was the loudest that that building had been all year and you know the Rutgers had kind of been slumping they yeah it is Brian Brian Fonseca you know he posted the clip of the you know Pykele tech that I, I reposted the other night he's on the Rutgers beat for 
uh, the Star Ledger, and he said that that was the loudest the rack had been all year down the stretch. Rutgers coming back into it, and that's a tough place to play. It's a weird, weird gym. It's super small, super crammed, and you know, it's a tough place to win a game. But just the, it's another repeat of the unfortunate theme for Nebraska basketball. If it's not that they lost, it's how they lost. And to sit here, you know, they're thirteen and five on the year. They're you know, I'm not going to put a lot of stock into projections right now until we get an answer on Juwan Gary. But, you know, they're still a top 50 team in season-long metrics like Torvik, and they're just outside the top 50 on, on Ken Palm. And they've got, you know, looking at their schedule and looking at the Big Ten on paper, they got a bunch of games that are still winnable and a very favorable finishing stretch at the end of the season, and you know, I t- I'll t- I touched on it with Gary in the interview. You know, I think they still got to get to 21 wins and 11 Big Ten wins. Whether that 11th win is in Minneapolis or if they can still scratch and claw their way to 11 in the regular season, I think that what you got to get to to feel comfortable if you want to still talk postseason. You know, we saw uh, this you know this program adjust on the fly last year following the season-ending injuries to Emmanuel Bandamel and Jawan Gary. But, you know, it, it, right now it's just a big question mark for me. And it's, um, you know, two back-to-back, you know, the Jekyll and Hyde comparisons of what Nebraska looks like at home, what Nebraska looks like on the road. Now they're back home for two big ones uh, starting tomorrow with Northwestern. But, I mean, it, you know, when, I, when Keisei Tomonaga hit a three and he shushed the crowd at the rack, I'm like, I, th- I thought Nebraska's back and this they're going to take care of this. But it... Just was a comedy of errors to end the first half and the second half. Rutgers came into this game averaging six made threes. They hit 11. They have a guy wearing rec specs who looks like I looked when I was playing, you know, youth basketball, curly hair, rec specs. He comes in, he nails two threes when he hadn't made any, almost any in conference play. Um, I mean, it just had, this game had everything. It had all the Nebraska basketball running jokes unfortunately, but it's it's not a, the conference road loss. It's the status of Juwan Gary coupled with just the offense that has looked looked like a mess. You know, they, I don't know, I don't, you know, Fred Hoiberg has referred to the offense as read and react, says they don't you know, run a lot of set plays. I think it might be time to get back to running, you know, a couple sets. There was finally a screen set for Kese Tomonaga. Uh, I tweeted that out the other night. Said it was about damn time because it was. Uh, Rinkmast had the screen on that, and Kese canned the three. But you know, there's gonna have to be some some role adjustment. Some guys are gonna have to get some. And I'm saying this all assuming assuming the worst for for Jawan Gary, unfortunately. And I'm gutted for him. It would be his third straight, you know, not third straight, but his third season-ending injury. Torres ACL in high school. He had a shoulder. The shoulder surgery last year, and you know this injury. We'll hear from Fred Hoiberg in a couple minutes, but I think it'll, you know, gonna be some some time for some guys to step up. Some more minutes are definitely out there for Josiah Alec, uh, C.J. Wilcher, even Matar Jop and uh, Eli Rice. So, what's up, everyone? So we've got a little update anecdote to the situation uh, surrounding Jawan Gary um, on the you know Wednesday night and. The rack, we saw him have to be helped back to the locker room. 
non-contact injury, many of us feared the worst. Um, when I recorded the interview with Gary and uh, the solo portions of this pod, we had not gotten the word on Juwan's status going forward, and the conversation kind of assumed the worst when you think non-contact injury and you see the reaction that he gave you know, to the moment and leaving the court. But we heard from Fred Hoiberg this afternoon, and he said Juwan suffered a calf strain. On Wednesday night at Rutgers, said the trainer did a instant you know examination and that the Achilles tendon appeared to be intact. And uh, Juwan Gary is day to day; he will miss uh, tomorrow's contest against Northwestern. But per Fred Hoiberg, the hope is to get him back soon. I uh, didn't want to put a timetable on it, but Juwan Gary day to day with a calf strain, um, crisis averted, bullet dodged, or as friend of the show Jack Mitchell put it season back on um so that is a good positive bit of news for nebraska basketball fans going into the weekend uh fred hoiberg a little fiery uh talking to the media uh this afternoon i kind of dig i kind of digged it he the moment was probably him saying we're a damn good team i know the sky is falling right now that's what i challenged our guys to do do not look at what people were saying seemed pretty uh pointed (laughs) um toward the social media roller coaster overreaction of the sky falling and some of the some of the responses that I received when I opened up uh, you know the questions from Twitter the other night. But that's the update on Juwan Carey. He's day to day. He will not play tomorrow, but um, supposedly he's improving more and more with each passing day. Just very sore with a calf strain. So that's my update on Juwan Carey. Back to the pot. We can transition into our my discussion with Gary Sharp. Um, thank you. Big thanks to Gary for coming on, uh, chopping it up a little bit. This was not a, um, you know, a long-form interview. I'm not running down a list of prepared, pre, uh, pre-prepared questions, but you know, Gary's a, Gary, anyone who will let me talk, the, talk their head off on basketball, you know, they're, uh, they're valuable. They're valuable and they're good, good friends of mine. And, uh, it was good to talk with Gary about Nebraska. Um, you know, Gary's a season ticket holder. He tries to get to as many games as he can uh, when they don't conflict with his duties as the play-by-play man for the for Omaha. And uh, he's had a very unique perspective on the program. Uh, you know, from uh, his days with the network to you know filling in sometimes on play-by-play when during that time to to now. And uh, you know, he. He was a student in, when the program was humming under Danny Nee. He's got some great Danny Nee stories. And, uh, yeah, so with that being said, here is my discussion with the first guest in the history of the Stretch Big Pod, Gary Sharp. Big, big game for Nebraska basketball tomorrow afternoon, Northwestern 115. It's alumni weekend, uh, per the game notes we just got this morning from communications extraordinaire Seamus McKnight. They're saying this is going to be the largest alumni weekend they've had since they started the event 10 years ago. It's a cool event. I got to be a part of it when I was a student manager. Going to be honoring the 93-94 Big 8 
tournament team and welcoming back the best uh, coach in the history of the program and Danny Nee. But I'm lucky enough today to be joined by a good friend of mine. You've heard me on his show multiple times. Figured it's going to be a Make this a home and home. Make this a home and home. <laughs> Give you a return game. Um, Gary Sharp joins me. He is the host of Sharp and Hanley in the morning on 1620 The Zone. He's also the play-by-play -play voice of the Omaha Mavericks. And we're going to start by talking about the Mavs. Hold on. Let's start this way. Are you not invited to alumni weekend? I, I, um, maybe cause I didn't graduate a manager. I was only in one for three years. Um, oh, okay. my, so Fred's last year was my senior year and I had some, some personal family stuff and it's a lot of time and had okay. bills to pay. So I couldn't, uh, keep it going. Of course they went out and hired, you know, another head coach that I know and they have a I have a connection to the family after my my time with Tim but yeah I did not get an invite but yeah this the, this game note says coaches and staff members so maybe they were inviting managers back I didn't get one but that, I'm you know I uh, don't know if don't know if Fred's gonna say uh, there's a running tab at gate 25 until midnight like Tim <laughs> would uh, with this with this alumni weekend that was that was how the dinner would end it was all right running tab at gate 25 <laughs> until till midnight <laughs> i don't don't know if it's the same same vibes now but let's talk about the Mavs a little bit uh year two under chris crutchfeld um first time in a couple years that the program's gotten to the 10 win threshold they hit that um this past uh last week when they you know swept the dakota schools at home Tough one last night, three-point loss in Brookings, but this, you know, the Summit League, there's no Max Aismas, there's no Mike Dom walking through that door, and uh, this uh, Mavs group looks like they've got a good shot at wearing white in Sioux Falls, yeah. and, you know, those th three-day run in the conference tournament, that can get you to the dance. What do you, what's the, what stood out the most about this group? Uh, you know, it's kind of been a weird group. Like last year, they were 9-23 and 23 in Chris Crutchfield's first year, and they are trying to figure everything out. Um, they had some talent that had not been tapped yet and they got off to a slow start this year they, they're not, they didn't play as strenuous as a typical Omaha non-conference schedule. So they kind of were able to keep their head above water, but they played right before Christmas out at Cal Poly, a terrible time to play on the road. Guys bags are packed. Um, you know, they're ready to go on break because they haven't been on break for a while. They played really, really poorly. And then they came back and started summer league play and they had a good first half against Denver, who I think is really good and, and might be the lone rep out of the Summit League this year, and then fell apart at the beginning of the second half. But then things just switched in a span of about a day. They cut down the rotation. They went to Vermilion. They beat South Dakota, and they played really well of late. Uh, you know, Thursday night had a chance at South Dakota State to actually win the game or possibly get it to overtime and missed a last-second three that would have tied it. But um, it all revolves around Frankie Fiddler. He's been fantastic. You know, last year he put himself out there. He, he, he said before the year began, he's the best player in the Summit League. And, you know, Jacob, you know him. He, he's very, very confident in his ability. But he immediately put his name at the top of every scouting report. And he had a bad year last year. Now, stat-wise, you could go, whoa. But he had a – for Frankie's standards, he had a bad year. This year, and especially over the last two and a half weeks, unstoppable. When he wants to get a bucket, he goes and gets a bucket – it gets to the free throw line a lot. They have Markel Sutton, who is a 6'9 wing from Tulsa, who has turned into a double-double guy. I, I think they're close. I really do. The Summit League isn't as daunting as it's been, and Omaha's got a place in it. So I, I think we're in White and Sioux Falls, which is one of the top four seeds, which is kind of the goal every year. 
uh, I think is very doable. And I think a run to possibly get that first ever bid is in the cards. This is a team that I really like. I think they've turned the corner. They're only playing about seven guys, but the seven guys that are playing are playing really well. Yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah, like you said, it starts and ends. Not starts and ends, but it starts with Frankie. And if you've got a dude who can go on a heater for you know a couple of days in Sioux Falls, that gives you a fighting chance. I mean, even last year with you know how the you know, season didn't go the way you probably wanted it to, still took SDSU to the wire in that first round game uh, in Sioux Falls. But yeah, the Mavs got their last uh, home game of the month tomorrow against UMKC. Um, one of the guys I was a manager with is actually UMKC's director of ops. So I would, if Northwestern Nebraska wasn't at the same time, I'd probably be going going to yeah. watch the Mavs tomorrow. But definitely, you know, I'm I'm making it a priority to sneak over to Baxter Arena in February. And if you're in the Omaha area and you want to, you know, get a look at get a look at some some good mid-major basketball, some good teams coming to Baxter in February. And uh, yeah, like you said, Mavs got a chance to make some noise and maybe make a run when it gets hey. to conference tourney time. Hey, and the and the and the summit league, you know, not not every player is well known. Even though the league has had uh, games on national TV, on they have a deal with CBS Sports Network, so the exposure is out there, and it's a good league. It's you know, unfortunately, people realize how good of a league it is when Baylor Shireman comes to Creighton or Max Aismas goes to Texas. Um, but it's a league where not everybody plays defense, so you get a lot of. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, 89, 86 type games. It's very, it's very, very fan friendly. Yeah, absolutely. And I've, I've really enjoyed, I've enjoyed going to games at Baxter these last couple of years too. It's, it's, a, it's fan. Yeah. Like I said, fan friendly and that's a good, good atmosphere over there. But if, yeah, like I said, if it wasn't the same time tomorrow, I'd be there, but so we can transition over to uh, Nebraska mm-hmm. now team in desperate need of a win tomorrow, desperate need um, after how things went at Rutgers combined with how things went at Iowa. We, we're sitting here recording this on Friday morning. Haven't gotten any word on Juwan Gary. Um, had a couple cryptic social media posts yesterday. But even when we do finally, you know, Fred talks to the media this afternoon at 1.25, I think. And, you know, even when the word comes down on him, it's got to be, you know, next guy up. Got to be, you know, on to the next one. Northwestern's a team Nebraska hasn't beaten under Hoiberg. Last win under, under – excuse um, me, words. Last win for Nebraska against Northwestern was in Evanston in February of 2019, which was Tim's last season. And there have been some ugly ones um, with Northwestern yeah. under Oiberg and, you know, with all the alumni, and it's an afternoon matinee Saturday. There will be some juice in the building. A little dose of nostalgia will help with that juice too. But, you know, how, how critical is this game? For, for this team um, and this season? Well, I mean, it, it, it's critical before New Jersey and what happened against Rutgers because you're trying to build up your resume and you don't want to have a win over a number one team in the country, get further and further down and get clouded by some bad losses. So playing Northwestern, who's an NCAA team, and a lot of brackets have them higher than Nebraska, is already going to be important. And then when you lay an egg like they did at Rutgers and then you have the availability of Juwan Gary is up in the air. It becomes the next two home games are huge for not only the resume, but I also think Jacob, like the fans who want to turn the corner and it's definitely, you've talked about this on my show. They're a different team. They have a different vibe, but there's always that convincing of Nebraska basketball goes to the past where, okay, you cannot have sustained success. 
and they follow up Purdue with the loss of Iowa, then you're like, okay, there's things that Iowa does that Nebraska tried to do, but Rutgers is a completely different team. Mm-hmm. Well, the result was the same. You still lost a game. So the next two home games, Northwestern Ohio State, I think are huge to get back on the right track because they, they're an NCAA team. They're, they're by no means a 7-8 seed, but they're definitely one of the 68 best teams in college basketball. But a game like tomorrow either gets you in the first four in or the first four out. Mm-hmm. So it's a big game. I also think Nebraska, with everything you just laid out about yet tomorrow, because there's going to be part of the tension convention in the PBA, especially after what's happened, what's on the line. Man, you got to get off to a good start. You cannot have a game where you're just throwing up bricks you're getting beat on the offensive glass. And the next thing you know, Boo Booey is uh, saluting the crowd with his number one finger. Yeah, no, that's and that's been something that we've heard Fred harp on the last couple of games. Well, especially Rutgers after how they started in Iowa was the importance of a good start. And, you know, it's I and they did. And they did. Yeah. And I, com- I completely and totally agree with you. I mean, they got to get off to a good start. They can't be rushing into rushing into stupid, silly shots. I mean, we've seen that a couple of times in the games that haven't gone their way. But yeah, like you said, I mean, Northwestern's a tournament team. They're these the two teams that have beaten Purdue. They're going to, you know, see each other um, on Saturday afternoon. And, you know, it's going to, I mean, Northwestern, Boo Booey. I mean, the, uh, the Big Ten's going to be happy. Well, aside from Chris Collins, <laughs> every other Big Ten coach is going to be happy when his yeah, eligibility finally runs out, but especially Tom Izzo. So that's uh, Boo. Boo's been around for far too long he's one of the better players in the league that's no you know no slight but if he's if he's putting on a show tomorrow then it's it could spell trouble for the you know it, it kind of makes you when you when you look at northwestern and it you know boo boo he's been there forever barry's a really good player it, it, from the nebraska standpoint jacob i think it you should be frustrated when you looked at northwestern i mean this is northwestern now mm-hmm. they did they did finally break through and got to the tournament and then chris collins was on the hot seat and somehow they've been able to turn it around where they're a tough out on a nightly basis. Mm-hmm. If you're Nebraska, you probably look at that and go, man, what do they have that we don't in terms of resources, fan passion, that kind of stuff. Biggest, I think the biggest thing is roster continuity. I mean, those guys that are on that team, they've been there. They're four, five-year guys. I mean, once upon a time, I thought my salesmanship driving his family around campus in a golf cart was going to get Ty Berry to Lincoln. But <laughs> he's been a he's been a pretty you know he guys like him and Boo and Matt Nicholson who they've made a you know a serviceable Big Ten big. Um, you know, it's and it's crazy to think about Northwestern these last couple of years going into last year they lost a guy to Duke. And yep. a guy in North Carolina, and they still put it together and made the NCAA tournament. But they've they've got these these culture guys, these continuity, the roster continuity. I mean, they they supplant it with I think they got the one Prince is it Princeton or Colgate where Langborg? Well, it's one of those East Coast small schools where Ryan Langborg's from, and he's a you know three point shooter. But for the most part, I think the biggest difference yeah. is just roster continuity. Yeah, you know they have something you brought up culture. And, you know, Chris Collins has done a really, really good job. That's something, and it's not a culture thing, but it's an older player that I think Nebraska missed on Wednesday night. And this probably also has a little bit to do, we got spoiled with the one year of Sam Greasel, and Mm -hmm. he's an older guy, and he has a good sense of the vibe of the team mixed in with the game. Nebraska right now is lacking that guy that settles everybody down. You know, like when Jawan Gary got hurt, things really went south. 
they were already trending that way a little bit on the offensive glass, but not to the extent where you get to 25. But Nebraska, once Gary went out, looked so discombobulated offensively. And I think they lack that guy that takes everybody, looks them in the eyes, and says, we're not going to panic. It's going to mm-hmm. be okay. They don't have that guy. They have talented players, but there's nobody There's nobody like a Greasel from last year that says, it's going to be okay. Now, that might be Sam Hoiberg. I don't mm-hmm. know. But do you sense the same thing, that they're missing that, hey, it's okay, we got this, let's calm it down, instead of when things start to snowball, whether it be a scoring drought or a run by the opposing team, Nebraska doesn't have that guy that with everybody's hand on the parking brake pulls it up and they say, okay, let's stop it here, we're going to be okay. No, I definitely, I definitely agree. And it kind of, it makes me think back to, you know, my, my time with, with the, that last Miles group, when he would talk about how they didn't have like an alpha dog vocal yeah. leader, just had a bunch of cool guys. I don't think this team's a bunch of cool guys. I think this team has got like, they're all, they're all quietly confident. Like when we talk to them, like they're all like almost borderline robotic. Yeah. It's, you know, at times yeah. like talking to guys like Mast. And, you know, Bryce Williams, I mean, on one of my earlier pods, I said Bryce Williams talks like he's the Terminator. Like, he just is very, you know, cynical, robotic. Like, you know, they don't have – because that was the the two sides of the coin with Greasel. He was was the cut stopper. He was the we're not going to panic, you know, old school Will Ferrell. We got to maintain our composure. But he was also the emotional, like the heart of the team. Like, he was – you know, this team – you know, they brought they bring in Alec, who is a Lincoln kid, but he's not, you know, waxing poetic about his time as a fan and how he knows, you know, the yeah. you know, the struggles of the fan base and grew up watching games and all that. Like, you know, the 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 I think it's a combination of the two that aren't there. They don't have the they don't have the parking brake, but the the emotional leader of I don't think they have an emotional leader either. You know, Gary's the energy guy. He's the junkyard dog guy. But to have, you know, you know, a guy like Greasel and everything he brought, I mean, he he was special. Yeah. He, he was special. Yeah. And he came in at a very critical time for, for his head coach and for his program. Yeah, you know, I think Alec could be that guy. But I also, I think that guy has to be the guy that has the ball in his hands the most. Yeah. You know? No, that's, yeah. And that's one of the biggest questions that we've had about this, about the teams going into the year and going into it all, and, you know, and it still is. And we're sitting here on January 19th. Because <laughs> so. to add to this conversation, Jacob, which is startling if I'm Fred Hoiberg and you know, what a difference a week makes with Nebraska basketball mm-hmm. last week, we're talking on Friday morning. They can do no wrong. They just beat Purdue. You're feeling great. You're starting to see them show up in a lot of brackets on you know, eight or a nine seed, this is going to be great, is a difference a week makes is now we talk about, well, is Fred the right guy for the job? Now, you and I aren't talking about this, but you know the chatter is out there when you drop back-to-back games and you have a clunker like Rutgers. Mm -hmm. Here's the thing that, that I think, you know, I'll be curious when Fred talks later today. It's important if Fred knows why Wednesday night happened. You can say 25 offensive rebounds, Mr. Basketball guy, but I'm looking at something different. Why did this team and Fred went there? Why did they have three different major points of the game late in the game that they didn't run the play that they had just seen drawn up in the huddle? 
What happened there? I'm telling you, I will, I will go to my dirt nap that there is no way that Fred Hoiberg, the sideline out of bounds play with three seconds to go, there's no way he designed that. Oh, no chance. Now, no chance. I do know that the play was supposed to be a ghost screen involving Tominaga. That play that Nebraska ran has less than a 1% chance of working. Mm-hmm. So, so what happened in, in designing a play to get a bucket or get a look that didn't all of a sudden when they got to the floor disappeared? Mm-hmm. That's where I would be a little bit concerned if I'm Fred on Wednesday night in something – Hey, effort, we can work on the boxing out, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. But, man, what about the communication and running what we want to run? Because we know that that'll be successful. No, absolutely. And, you know, for to sit there watching that live, and it was uh, Jess Settles, and I forget who the play-by-play guy was, but, oh, Fred Hoiberg, he's a former NBA coach. He's got 100 of these sideline out-of-bounds plays. And that's what they end up – that's what they end up running. I mean, I – that was my immediate thought was there's no way that was the play. And yeah, watching it back, you can see, I think it looked like mass was supposed to set a screen. And I definitely, you know, you'd think late game with those guys that on the floor, it was probably something for case which I mean, I feel better about him just throwing something up than I do about trying to run a lob play to the rim with three seconds left. But I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a weird point right now for this, for this team. You know, there's definitely people trying to, you know, bring up the, the job status and all that. And I, I don't think that I think it would take a lot for that to be actually yeah. brought back to the forefront with how this year's gone. And, you know, two years in a row, there's been proof of concept, proof of progress, yeah. and then injuries have, have derailed it. And that's kind of, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's give me a break. I can't catch a yeah. break. Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I think they're, they're still in a good spot, but, at some point, you're going to have to grab a road win in a place where you're not supposed to win. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's Maryland. But the best tonic for this team might be that they're coming home for the next two. Because mm-hmm. they're a different team at home offensively outside of the Creighton game where they tried to match Creighton's style. So you get that benefit. But to help the resume, they're going to need a road win here or there. But when they're on the road... Who's that guy besides Tominaga going on a heater or shooting it well enough that you score 75 to 80 and you're like, that's enough to win. Mm-hmm. Who's that? Who's that guy that makes a defensive stop? Yeah. You I know, think, that's, I, I think that's the other the, guy on the other guy on offense needs to be Williams, but yeah. he's been a, he's been a roller coaster and, you know, on defense, I mean, it might probably have to be him too, just because yeah. the way he, because the way he's built and he's going to have to play more for, if you know we are expecting Gary to be out for you know, we don't know the period of time yet, but yeah, I to- I completely and totally agree. They feed off and live off of that home court advantage, and you know the, you know it, it's night and day, Jekyll and Hyde between home and away. But enough about you know the the current state of the current team, and you know you you had an interesting position. Uh, you know, hey, hold you on had- before we before we leave that. Let yeah. me th- let me throw this suggestion out to you. Yeah. So Jamarcus Lawrence right now is on the struggle bus. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he's just trying to pick spots offensively, bringing the ball up the floor. There's just a lot of things that are going on here. And, and we've talked, you've talked ad nauseum about, okay, Fred's got maybe a positionless offense. You don't necessarily need a true point guard. You and I are talking about, man, you need that guy to say, hey, it's going to be okay, relax. 
What do you think the possibility of getting Sam Hoiberg some minutes at point would look like? Is that even a possibility? I think yeah, I think it is. I think there's a lot of different cards on the table for sure. Um, and I think we've seen the impact Sam can make. And I think, you know, if he shown the ability to make winning plays on the defensive end, that's for sure. And I think he's he's not a I don't think he's a minus on offense. I think you're either gonna break even or he's gonna be a plus. And I think that's definitely something that's on the table. And you know, part of my I I, I thought about that. That's something I was gonna talk about in the solo, solo portion of this. But then the the other question I've got, you know, looking back on you know, looking at that roster is you brought in a combo guard from Ball State who's buried and you have yeah. a four star recruit from California who we haven't heard any word about and they still have guard issues. Um, something's got to be going on behind the scenes with both of them for them to not even get a look. I mean, that's got to be something yeah. behind the scenes or in practice, but with the, the way their backcourts looked at times this year for either of them to both be buried. I mean, that's, that's kind of a red flag to me, but that's beside the point. So. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, with Boogie, um, I don't know. It's just a weird fit with the other guys on the floor. That, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just, he doesn't seem to blend well. Um, and so I think Fred made the decision of we're cutting down the rotation and you know, you're not going to be part of it, but I agree with you. You cannot bring a guy like Coleman and Lloyd in. And now, and now this conversation might be different if Ulysses is eligible. That, that too. Okay, so he solves some of these guard problems, mm-hmm. but he we're, we're past that. He, he's not going to be involved in the 23-24 season. Yeah. But you're right. To bring a Ball State guy in late as a late addition out of the portal and then Lloyd and not have Lloyd, you know, you've played as many minutes as Lloyd has played. Mm-hmm. Um that 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 is i mean you're supposed to recruit yourself and coach yourself into options well they recruited themselves into a couple of bad options where they can't rely on them and so yeah. you, you you might be stuck so that's why i say why not give sam a look see if that changes things up i'm not i'm not saying sam hoiberg in the big 10 could be a 30 minute uh, point guard but i think maybe a spell here or there it might help lawrence to you know not have the you know have the game Come to him while he's watching, not playing, if that makes sense. No, I that makes sense to me. And I agree with, you know, giving Sam a look. We've shown he's shown he's he's not scared of the Jameer Youngs and Chucky Hepburns of the world, uh, def- defensively and you know, some run to initiate action and you know bring the ball up. I I I'm all for it, really and truly. So we'll see how it looks. Um, like you said, two enormous home games. Northwestern's a tournament team. Ohio State should be a tournament team, but they've been slumping. We'll see how they look tomorrow. Uh, they got Penn State at home, you know, a team they blew a 17-point lead in Happy Valley earlier in the conference slate. So Isn't see how – the, the Ohio State game still in January, right? It is. Yep. Because Chris Holtman's January record at Ohio State, not so good. No. I mean, then they're in a the – talk about a – program in a weird spot i mean i think i think this is year seven for holtman and you know i think i feel like that i feel like that oral roberts tournament loss a couple years ago was the the the, the, the switch the flip the switch yeah. flipping downward for you know his time there and he's a really good he's a good coach he's a great dude he's really well thought of in you know coaching circles but you know the Maybe time for him to be looking to beat the posse out of town in Columbus. What a weird, what a weird year in the Big Ten is. We could be having a conversation, and we don't know what Michigan State's going to do. They got the win over Minnesota 
it's not going to help the metrics a ton, but they had to win a game. Man, you could have Michigan, Ohio State, and Michigan State could all miss the tournament. Yeah. And yeah. remember, Ohio State has a new athletic director coming in. So who likes to throw money at his problems? Yep. Yep. So yeah. <laughs> hello, Jimbo Fisher. <laughs> so yeah, we'll see how that goes. I need to try and get need to try and get get in touch with Titus again, see how he's feeling about the old about the old alma mater. But shift gears, you know, it's uh gonna be a really cool scene at PBA tomorrow, bringing Danny Knee back uh, back in town. You you scooped it uh, at the uh, sports banquet with Fred earlier in the year. Uh, saying Fred made the call to, to Danny to bring him back uh, when they you know talked to him on Sports Nightly uh, you know last month that was that was pretty cool as well but you know it's been uh, been 24 years since the end of uh, the, of Danny's time as the head coach he came back in 2009 right for a yeah, Hall of Fame thing and you know that you know nine year you know this more time has passed now and it's kind of been the the flavor of the day in Lincoln with Solich coming back for the spring game and, you know, time, time heals, time heals, not all wounds, but most of them. And, you know, to bring Danny back, it'll be, you know, pretty cool scene tomorrow. You had a, you had a front row seat for the, for the knee for a good part of Danny's time as the head coach with uh, your time in Lincoln. Uh, what's, uh, what's the first thing you think of when you think of Danny knee Nebraska teams? Uh, oh, I thought you were going to say Danny and my relationship. Uh, F and Gary. Um, hey, Coach Nee has been great to me, and um, he only one time cussed me out because I, I started as a student in the stands of the Vanny Center, and it, and in the uh, in the mid '90s, and I finished doing his radio show for the last five <laughs> years. Um, the only time he really got upset at me, I used to call the Vanny Center the Apple Orchard because they had all those NIT banners. <laughs> And he he gave it to me one day. He said, I don't understand how difficult it is and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I said, but you have to admit, that's kind of funny. He didn't, <laughs> he didn't like that. Um, I think I, I remember a character who was a winner who could, you know, recruit and, you know, however they accumulated their roster, it didn't matter. Because when, when Nebraska was rolling, he made Nebraska basketball almost every game mattered. Like you had to be at the Devaney Center as a student or a fan. You know, I've, I've, I've said one of the biggest accomplishments Knee had was they had a, a majority of their season ticket holders were from Omaha. They would drive down to the Devaney Center. That's not easy. You know, when you got no. kids and you're rushing home for work and you got to get to that 705, you know, Big 8 or Big 12 game, um, he, made, he made Nebraska basketball matter. And gosh, did they have an enormous amount of talent. Um, they just... They couldn't get that magical thing that it blows me away, Jacob, that this program is still chasing mm -hmm. is a victory in the NCAA tournament and another sign. So knee gets fired after a big 12 champ, a big 12 tournament game at Kemper arena. Now we're in 2024. The fact that Nebraska basketball has made the tournament one time since then, mm -hmm. that's unbelievable. And we're on what coach number four and AD number five in the in that time span. But I mean, yeah, it is it is pretty unbelievable. And you know, I I, I was not uh, I was not alive yet for the the pinnacle of uh, the Danny New Year's. 
but you know my time in the program you know some of these legends weekends getting told stories from some yeah. of his former players a good friend of mine's dad is actually in that team uh schedule picture you tweeted out this morning <laughs> on the 92 team so i've heard plenty of stories about so you about, know jb hoffman yeah yeah no yeah yeah is that uh, is that the guy that's jf yeah, yeah. oh yeah, okay. No, his All son's right. yeah, his son Sid's one of my yeah. best friends. So All I've right. heard. So I I've was heard, just I was uh, just throwing out there because that was like one of the random guys. I said JBJF Hoffman. It was one of the mm-hmm. random guys on that team in 91, 92. Yeah, no, I've got a hat for his family farm out in uh out in Arapaho sitting around here somewhere. But yeah, no, that's that's the that's the connect. I saw well, that pic saw that picture you tweeted. I immediately texted Sid and JF and I'm like. I was like, what a team, man. So (laughs) I I think in the success of Nebraska basketball, um, because he was never really labeled as a basketball AD, Bill Byrne has a lot of credit here. Now, if you were pro Danny and Danny got fired, the writing was on the wall. They started to go downhill in the last couple of years. But Bill Byrne, you remember, it wasn't just Nebraska basketball that was rolling. That was the height of Nebraska football in the 90s. And Nebraska volleyball won a national championship. Um, Darren Erstad was on campus. I mean, it was really good to be in the athletic department at that time. But I, I think another accomplishment by Danny was men's basketball was relevant. Like it could have been all football, you know, Hey, once the national championship ceremony is over, uh, I won't go back to the Devaney center for a long time. (laughs) Well, people came to the Devaney center and, and Danny made Nebraska basketball relevant while Nebraska football was winning national championships. And, you know, they had a lot of interaction between football and basketball players. They got along. But yeah. I just keep going back, Jacob, just the dudes. I mean, we we can – you hear the names rattled off from King to Reed to Chubbuck to Piakowski to Strickland to Boone to Chandler uh, to – Even just looking at this team they're honoring, this team they're bringing back. I, yeah. mean, I mean, Strick, Pike, Badgett, Chubbuck Jr., Tom Best was a bully big. Yep. Like they did, they the team had dudes, and that had that's multiple. That's two long tenured NBA vets on one yep. team at Nebraska. And I know we've had a run, you know, recently, which is you know crazy with Fred that he's put two guys in the league, and you know Roby Roby two at the the end of Tim. But I mean that's multiple legitimate tenured yep. NBA guys on one roster at the same time in Lincoln. Well, and, and you know. Uh... Back at towards the tail end of his career, you got the best player that ever played for him, in my opinion, in Ty Lue. Mm-hmm. Yep. They just, they, you know, probably those guys aren't coming to Nebraska today. Um, you know, the landscape is a little bit different, but they were attracted to winning. And also, Nebraska high school basketball in that stretch was pretty unbelievable. Mm-hmm. I mean, a guy that doesn't get mentioned a ton, but who was a legend in the state of Nebraska is Jason Glock. Yeah. But he went on, and he was a part of Nebraska basketball. Um, it was just—it was a really fun time. They were characters. Their head coach was a character. He was a celebrity who had a tie deal. He had a sport <laughs> coat deal with uh, Gary Novotny at Gary mm-hmm. Michaels Clothiers. Um, they had—they found their place at a university where football was so dominant and was winning, but basketball was relevant. And at twelve forty-five on a Saturday, at, or at three oh five. I don't care if it was 10 below, you were going to the Devaney Center to watch Nebraska basketball play because you knew at some point Knee was going to do something on the sidelines. He was either going to explode, he was going to throw his jacket, 
He was going to holler at the PA announcer. He was going to stick his finger in the chest of Norm Stewart. Mm -hmm. You had no idea what was going to happen with Danny. And then you had no idea after the game what you might run into Danny. Where at? <laughs> yeah, most likely Barry's. Barry's might be the leading candidate uh, if it was a home game. But hey, Jacob, yeah, those... it was it was it was crazy. So again, I got to see a lot of Danny um, off the floor, mm -hmm. and his personality on the floor was exactly the same off the floor. The whole Barry's thing. I, I used to think that was well known. I guess it wasn't until <laughs> people have started to tell their Danny Nee stories. So it's absolutely true. So Kent and Nick Joes were doing the games on the radio. And Nick, who I, I love Nick, uh, I've known Nick for a long time. He was Danny's right-hand man. Now he's over at Iowa State. He's, he's bounced around. He was at Baylor. He went to Mizzou. And, and now he's back at Iowa State where he was before he came to Nebraska. Mm -hmm. um, they would do the post-game show. So it would not be the last segment. There would be another segment. Danny would have somebody get his car, and they would have it right outside of um, one of the ends of the Devaney Center. Uh -huh. So they would have the car warming up. Danny would do the post game, and then once he was done, he would get up and he would walk down the length of the floor through one of the exits, you know, the weird exits they had in the Devaney Center, yep. the four corners. Yep. He would walk out. He would walk right out a door, and there would be his car. His whole goal was to be at Barry's, which is on 9th Street. It's where Barry's is now. Mm -hmm. The whole goal was to be at Barry's by the time that Kent signed off. <laughs> and he awesome. would be. He'd go in there, and, and, and you'd walk in there, and Danny never sat at the bar by himself. Danny was always at a, a circular table where people were around. He might be sitting with big, you know, uh, Husker basketball fans. He might just be sitting by himself and people are like, whoa, but people were buying him drinks and he was right there and he was, he was telling stories. And so the best post game show for Nebraska basketball during the knee era was to go to Barry's because Danny, <laughs> Danny would give you the X-rated version of what just happened in that game. <laughs> now that's phenomenal. Yeah, that's that's definitely been a, a common thread through the stories. Uh, Chattel's uh, column today talking about people trying to beat him there. You know, they they hear his last segment and they think, oh, we got him. And then they'd walk in and he'd be sitting there. Uh, there's plenty. You know, it's a common thread. But you know, when uh, you know you. Yeah, like you said, you were hosting his radio show by the end of his run. Uh, there's a you know the famous story of him coming in saying he's he's going to Rutgers, and then they announce their head coach the next day, and it's not him. Yeah. Um, that one that one's pretty pretty timeless. Um, you know. He, well, you know he, what else was part of that story? His and I remember this after telling the story on air. Man, he crushed Rick Johnson, who was the great <laughs> coach at the time. Like. Because he, he walked into the studio with his wife, which he never came to his radio show with his wife. Danny would always bring refreshments and dinner because mm -hmm. he was coming either from the office or from practice. And so he would eat dinner in the studio and we'd crack some beers. And I had to tell Danny one time, I said, hey, they don't mind if you drink here in the studio, but you can't open it in front of the mic. <laughs> because we didn't, we didn't have, you know, we were not on camera, but people could hear that. Yeah. And I'm like, Danny, man, you can't do it. So in typical Danny fashion, he would continue to do that. <laughs> so that night, yeah, he, he came in. There was no refreshments. There was no dinner. I was really bummed because I had not eaten. I thought, hey, maybe I'll go across <laughs> the street to Da Vinci's and get us a pizza. Um, 
<laughs> but he brought his wife with him, which she never came to the radio show. And she had a dog. And when he said, hey, uh, we have this dog. I've named it Rutgers. Uh, I think, you know, because he always told me, um, hey, Gary, he goes, every 10 years, you got to change jobs. And this was his 11th year at Nebraska when he said this. And he said on air, he's going to Rutgers. And I was stunned. I was like, uh, I don't know what to say. And we went to a break. And in the studio at KLIN, I can see the phones. And they're lighting up. And the main, like, you know, hidden line that is only given out to guests or VIPs, it lights up. John Bishop was answering the phones. Bishop sends me a note to come talk to him. And so I go out to where Bishop was sitting and he said, uh, Bill Byrne called. And he said, for Gary to pass along this message, can you please tell my basketball coach to call me when he's done? <laughs> oh my goodness. So we have, we come back from the break and we get back into the show and, you know, Danny is naming Jimmy Williams as his successor. There are people calling in that are like, oh, Danny, I love you. I can't believe you're leaving. And he's like, oh, always be a Nebraskan. It's great, blah, blah, blah. And then when we go to the next break, I'm like, hey, coach, I go, uh, Bill called, and he wants you to call him um, before you leave. And he's like, he's like, okay. And the next morning, Rutgers announces who their new basketball coach is, it's not Danny Nee. And after that, really, that was the writing on the wall because Nebraska basketball was never able to recover. And, you know, then it ends in Kemper Arena when Danny on his radio show, Nick is like, hey, you know, we did this and this and we got this to look forward to. And Danny stops Nick in mid-sentence on the air and says, Nick, just forget about it. We're done. And he was. My goodness. But there were great moments like that team that won the Big Ten or the Big Eight uh, championship, excuse mm -hmm. me. You know, they they took over Lincoln. Everybody was watching that. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't care. There, there's a big uh, youth basketball tournament that weekend in Lincoln uh, called the MIT. And there's thousands of teams. But everybody either had the radio on or were watching the games that weekend. And I remember stories because – that team on the bus was coming back from Kansas City, and you know they were like, "How do we find out where we're going in Selection Sunday?" So they they stopped at the convenience store in Nebraska City so they could go inside, hoping that the guy inside would have a TV so they could find out where they were going in the NCAA <laughs> tournament. So once the word got out that the Nebraska basketball team, which just won the Big Eight championship in in Kansas City, they were in Nebraska City. Like the whole town came out. And the next thing you know, it's like a pep rally in the parking lot of this convenience store as Nebraska stopped to find out where they were going in the tournament. That's awesome. Yeah, and that that, uh, that Big 8 Championship game is on YouTube in full. I went back and watched it a couple years ago uh, when I was doing the, the all-time player draft on yeah. uh, Damon and Michael's show and absolutely schooled Dirk and Sipple, by the way. <laughs> I'll still, I just a humble brag, absolutely schooled, schooled Dirk and Sipple. Uh, I'm going to add there that. Were so, there were so many, <laughs> gosh, there were so many great players that, you know, Danny brought. I, one guy who I think is one of the best that doesn't get a lot of run because his time at Nebraska was short after transferring from San Jose State, 
Tony Farmer was a really, really good player at Nebraska. Mm-hmm. Yep. No, he's one of the he's one of the names that I I've, I've been I've been told repeatedly doesn't get enough, a lot enough love for his for his time. Uh, and, you know, and you know, it's it's I I love hearing these stories. I love hearing about it. Um, you know, it's the you know the the nineties was quite the time, quite the time to be in Lincoln, Nebraska. <laughs> uh, whether you, whether you be at, at, at Memorial stadium at the Devaney center at Buck Belzer, there was, there was stuff going on all or, over that campus or the Coliseum where Terry Pettit won a national championship in 95 oh, and little red was born and little red was born. Wow. They, and, and they, and they had it and they were still uh, serving Coke. They were serving Coke on campus too. That's, there was all, all sorts of stuff going on in the nineties in Lincoln. They were, yeah. <laughs> but uh, so yeah, that's um, you know Gary. I appreciate you doing this. Um, thanks for for taking the time. I know you're sleep deprived. You need to get some yeah. sleep uh, to that bus ride back from from Brookings last night. But I once again, man, anyone who uh, will let me talk their head off about <laughs> ball from time to time, consider him a good friend, and I uh, appreciate it. Appreciate you letting me come on your show, and thanks for doing this. Hey, one more quick question about this current team. Because I haven't asked you this on my mm-hmm. show when you come on every Monday. The magic number for wins and Big Ten wins to assure a spot in the tournament is? I think total wins is 21, I think. Conference wins 11? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think so. Sounds about right. That's what that's what I thought. That's what I thought going into going into Rutgers, which need to get to 21 overall. And that I think that'd be 11 and 9 in, in the league. Maybe the most important number, though, is I think they got to be in the 40s in the net. That yeah. that non-conference strength of schedule is – I think they got to be in the 40s to feel good. Yeah, I, I would agree. And, you know, it's I saw – I forget what the projection was yesterday, but I think I, – I forget what side it was. But someone said now the projected last place team in the Big Ten goes 7 and 13 which would be like the most big 10 conference wins for the last place team. And in quite a while, but you know, it's kind of been the running, the running joke the last couple of years about, you know, big tens down, it's a mess in the middle. And it's, that appears to be the case again, but yeah, I think 21, 21 overall 11 in the league, um, you know, might, maybe that 11th win has to be in Minneapolis. Yeah. At, uh, with the way that the, the scale, yeah. but the back half, but the, I mean, the last, the back half of that schedule, even without Gary is still rather favorable. I mean, you still got Michigan twice. Rutgers comes here. You don't have a return to Purdue. You go back to assembly hall when who knows what the hell's going on with that team. Yeah. And there's a lot of, you know, the toughest, toughest games remaining are Saturday, the return trip to Evanston going to Champaign. And then the game that I'm sure everyone already has circled on their calendars is, is you know, when Wisconsin comes to town on that yep. Thursday night, you know, February 1st, the, you know, that's going to be, that's the biggest, that's the biggest game left on the regular season schedule. And then it's a lot of, a lot of still pretty favorable games, you know, down the stretch. Yep. I think the next two are pretty important to add to that resume. No, I totally agree. So we'll see how the cookie crumbles for Husker basketball this weekend. Should be a pretty cool scene with all the alumni, Danny Knee coming back. But, Gary, thanks again. I appreciate you taking the time, and uh, talk to you Monday. Hopefully we're not uh, yeah. talking about uh, hitting the panic button and people haven't fired up hot boards after uh, Saturday afternoon at PBA. Yeah. Hey, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Long, yeah. long time, uh, long time uh, listener, uh, first-time podcaster with you. 
No, I, we had to get, you know, I'm, I'm honored <laughs> that you wanted to come on, be the first guest on the show. And now if I hang up too quick on Mondays, you don't have to ask about it anymore. <laughs> Thank you, my friend. Yep. Thanks, Gary. Yep. Big thanks again to Gary Sharp for joining me to chop it up, talk a little ball for a while, uh, touching on the Mavs and Nebraska. Uh, Maverick Mojo, why fight it? I'm going to try and get to an Omaha game here next month because they're uh, – they're looking pretty good right now. You're two of the Chris Crutchfield era, but thanks again to Gary. Um, after the game on Wednesday, put out the bat signal on the podcast uh, Twitter account, uh, asking for your biggest questions, concerns, or thoughts. And uh, we're gonna get to some user, uh, some listener submitted or Twitter follower submitted questions. Um, first up is Don. Don on uh, Twitter at iFormation. He said, I feel like rebounding is heart and hustle, which makes giving up all those offensive rebounds so disappointing. And I, I said it in the, the first segment, you know, I totally agree. Rebounding is all about heart, hustle, and, and want to do. And, you know, for a team that is, you know, preach toughness, tenacity, and, you know, doing the little things to win games, yeah, it is extra disappointing. I, I would agree with that. Uh, Ian on Twitter says, overreacting needs to chill. Tough to win at the rack, especially with rank struggling. No Gary most of the second half and overtime. 14 and four with good wins, no bad losses like in prairies. We need to find the alpha that will show up every night, thinking Bryce needs to make it his team. Um, I touched on this with Gary. I tend to agree that Matt, that Bryce Williams, I mean, he's going to, he's going to have to be the guy um, on two ends of the court too. Um, he's shown it on offense. He's flashed really hard. I've had the running bit of does Bryce Williams know how good he can be. And when he flashes, he flashes really well. Um, defensively, just because of how big he is, he's got more minutes at the four coming his way, um, which brings the backcourt into question. And you know, that's you know, you know, do we see more Sam Hoiberg at the point? Do we see, you know, who's going to be the you know, Jamarcus Lawrence is definitely on the struggle bus right now. And you know, it's like I said, it's going to be big time. You know, role adjustment. You know, looking in the mirror. You know, assu- assuming. Once we get the word on Jawan Gary, Miles asks, "Power rank the worst Nebraska ball season-ending injuries?" And that is a very morbid question. But the first one for me is Isaac Copeland. Still, um, that final season with Coach Miles um, is still a huge what if for me. And Isaac, you know, he tore his ACL going up to try and dunk a ball after a whistle against Ohio State, and. You know, things you know things were not firing on all cylinders at that point, but you know that that team showed with the way they ended the season that they were still potential to you know win games uh, without Isaac. And but that team, that that core group with Glenn Watson, James Palmer Jr., uh, Cope, and uh, Isaiah Roby, I mean that was a special special group. And I still think that if you know that doesn't happen, you know they're that season probably has a different conclusion. But then, you know, the two last year, Emmanuel Bandemel and Juan Gary, they go hand in hand because, you know, if you talk to Fred Hoiberg, he thinks that team last year, they're at full strength as a tournament team. And they finished at 500 and they, they won some big games. They had a really good record when they had everybody at full strength. But, um, you know, I, I the top one for me is still Copeland. And I know some people will disagree with that. They'll think the season was over by the time that had happened and Miles's you know, ship had sailed. But, I still think that there's that's a, still a huge what if, and I, it's still at the top of the list for me because I was still around the program at that time. Greg asks, and well, Greg says, there's some statements in here, not a lot of questions. 
but some statements. Hope they can do enough down the stretch to make the NIT without Gary. That's probably the ceiling. Highly probable that this is Fred's last six weeks with the program. Um, hard disagree on this being Fred's last six weeks with the program. Um, I think people need to take a look at uh, the power chair, um, the, the guy who's running the athletic department. Uh, yes, he is visible at basketball games, but he's also never hired a basketball coach. Um, he's never shown much towards basketball uh, at either of his stops at the Division One ranks. Uh, you could even take a look at the current state of basketball at his former stop, and you could say that the new athletic director there has done more for basketball than Trev did in more than a decade. Um, I think that, you know, like we, like a, you know, I mentioned with, you know, I've, I've kind of hinted at this. I think, you know, now the last two years, you know, Fred has shown proof positive that there's progress, there's been a change, and, you know, now there's been injuries and, you know, things out of his control to impact it. Uh, I do, I, I do not see Fred Hoiberg being let go unless pinnacle, unless people stop showing up to pinnacle bank arena. Um, and if, unless results get incredibly embarrassing, I, I do not think that basketball is remotely on the frontal lobe of the athletic department right now. Again, considering, all the momentum behind football, all the money that's been put into fire to football these last couple of years, hiring a new coach, new practice facility, um, the undertaking that will be what's coming down the pipes with Memorial Stadium. Um, I just don't see, I don't see a change being made. I it would take a lot for that to happen, and I it's I think that you know. Trev, when he got to Lincoln, gave Fred Hoiberg a choice to retool his program. Fred's done that, and he's shown uh, proof of concept with uh, how the teams have played this last couple years. So I do not, by any stretch, think that this is going to be Fred Hoiberg's last uh, six weeks with the program. And the other question with that is um, just talking to people in in coaching circles, um, you know, I – I'll sh- I will say this. I have on good authority that someone representing Nebraska, Nebraska's interests, was putting out feelers to uh, agents, uh, one agent in particular, shared by two coaches uh, toward the end of last se- toward the end of January last year, before the Tomonaga heater, then him going nuclear for a month. Um, but the interest in an open Nebraska job. Uh, if you were to move on from Fred Hoiberg, looking at that job going into the new Big Ten, I think that would be some people would be surprised at the uh, the lack of uh, you know the lack of uh, a headliner candidate that you you'd see that you know I don't think anyone anyone with a big uh, name who the casual fan or you know. Casual college basketball fan, there, there's not going to be much interest in an open Nebraska job. Looking at the new Big Ten, with you know, especially if you know Fred Hoiberg can't get the job done. Ben says, "No concerns, everything going great." I sense a little bit of sarcasm, but shout out to Ben uh, for at least keeping it positive on the on the Twitter streets. Rugby Kobe says, "Rebounding in all caps." I'd agree. 
That Husker fan says probably will take a step back as they figure out life without Juwan, but maybe could have an electric February like last year. Possibly Kata and Ramel going. Eli and Matar will need to step up. Fred Hoiberg has said, you know, they they think they'll still see Blaze Kata. Uh, he that would be huge. That'd be absolutely enormous for him to be serviceable, um, to be able to give Rink Mast a blow, to just go out there, get a rebound, you know, just be a be a big, you know, built like a just be a brick shit house, for lack of a better term. Excuse my language, but I think that's kind of would be the best case scenario uh, if they get Blaze Kata going. Don't know about Ramel Lloyd, the Ramel Lloyd mystery. Uh, played the X Files theme song uh, with Ramel Lloyd. No idea what's going on there, but I do agree. Eli and Matarjo will have to uh, step up. Will it ever get better, or are we doomed to an eternity of devastating heartbreak? Corey asks. I don't think we're doomed for all eternity. I think that, you know, Nebraska Nebraska fans have definitely um, been through plenty of uh, suffering and pain, <laughs> especially in basketball, but in other sports these last 20 years, um, I, you know, I uh, don't know. It's a good question. I don't know. I don't know how soon it'll get better, but I still have faith that on the basketball front, there things will things will get better. Chuck says Gary injured. Period. They can't overcome that. Would have won tonight with him. Won't win much without him. Devastating, and especially for that guy, he's such a dog in the best basketball way. This is such a Nebraska basketball thing. Unbelievable. Stringer Bull says, "Why do I keep doing this to myself?" I ask myself the same question on a lot of things, Stringer. So. But that's a little bit on the mailbag. Um, a lot of declarative statements, not too many questions, but um, I appreciate anyone who responded to that and uh, interacted with the show. So looking ahead to Northwestern tomorrow, um, like I said, not going to put a lot of stock into too many projections till we get the word on Juwan Gary. But Northwestern, 13-4 and four on the season. They went to the tournament last year. They're currently projecting to get back there. Uh, they've never been to back-to-back tournaments. Um, they also have not lost to Nebraska in the Fred Hoiberg era in Lincoln. The last win over them, over Northwestern for Nebraska, came in February of 2019. Um, everything starts with Boo Booey for Northwestern. I feel like he's been in the Big Ten for... A long time. 6'2 guard is averaging 18. Three and a half rebounds, five assists, 45% from the field, 85%. Free throw, 35 from three. Uh, he does everything for them. Uh, if he's putting on a clinic tomorrow, then it's going to be going to be trouble for the home team because when he gets going, he's tough to stop. The game after Nebraska Rutgers the other night, uh, Northwestern held off Maryland in Evanston, and it was just him and Jameer Young just trading haymakers <laughs> down the stretch. Two two really good all-conference-level guards just going blow for blow down the stretch, and Northwestern wound up with the win there. Their second-leading scorer is Brooks Barnheiser. He has been – he's a junior Indiana kid. Uh, he's averaging just shy of 14 points a game, 42% from the field for Barnheiser. Um, their guards are all solid. Uh, outside, I mean, Bowie's outstanding, but Barnheiser, this next guy, Ty Berry, one time Tim Miles recruit, um, he he can get going from three. Berry averaging 11, 46% from the field, and 43% from three. I don't want Ty Berry to be the next guy who's getting a ton of open looks because of Nebraska's 
uh, schem schematic plan on defense. Ryan Langborg, he transferred in uh, this past, uh, you know, over the offseason from Princeton. That's where he came from. 6'4", uh, guard, 11 points a game for Langborg, 37% from three. He's their second-best three-point shooter. It goes Barry Langborg Bowie from three. Uh, Nick Martinelli, he's an ex he's a younger guy, sophomore, uh, hometown kid. He's from Glenview. He's averaging seven a game, six seven. Um, you know he he plays a plays a good amount, twenty minutes a game, uh, but nothing too crazy from Martinelli or from Matt Nicholson. Uh, he is a seven, their seven foot senior center, and you know he's one of the guy he's one of the guys who's been around for a long time, culture guy. Uh, you know, program guy. He's been around a while. Uh, Northwestern usually goes. They can play play seven guys. You know, they'll rotate guys in. Uh, guy like Blake Preston would maybe you know come in if you know one of the bigger guys gets into foul trouble. But you know, Bowie is the main uh, the main attraction for Northwestern. But they've got guards around them. In Barnheiser, Barry Langborg, who can are capable from three, Martinelli and Nicholson, they're they're serviceable as well. Um, you know, Northwestern, they're beneath, they're a couple spots below Nebraska in Ken Palm right now. Um, nothing too outstanding. Looking at their Ken Palm page, they do not turn the ball over. That's where their their highest rating is. That they they don't take care of the they don't turn the ball over. They take care of it. Smart, methodical stuff uh, for Chris Collins. Uh, he, you know, he's he's Teflon. He's been in uh, been at Northwestern since 2014. This is his tenth season at the helm in Evanston. So that's the personnel. Um, I, you know, it's January, but I think Nebraska. I mean, Nebraska, two home games coming up. Um, you know, Northwestern, who's you know. They're a good team. They're a tournament team, but they're 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 beatable. And then Ohio State comes to Lincoln on Tuesday. Um, you know, you got to You got. I mean, if you want to still be talking postseason, I think Nebraska's got to go two and zero in the next two. Uh, they've shown they're a different team at home. And you know, tomorrow afternoon, afternoon matinee Saturday in Lincoln. I think it'll still be some juice. There'll be some people who are you know there to. For a little dose of nostalgia, but they also are going to want to see a good product on the court. I think it'll be a close game, but you know Nebraska. You know I'm interested to see uh, change in rotation, change in you know adjust adjustment and roles, things like that of that nature tomorrow afternoon at PBA. So uh, Northwestern on Saturday, Ohio State on Tuesday. Um, unless something crazy happens, I think I'm going to. Just recap both games, have a pot out for you Wednesday, and then lead it. And, you know, Nebraska's next game after that is Saturday on the road in College Park against Maryland. So that'll be, you know, that's just a looking ahead, trying to establish some consistency with drops and releases. But I figured going into uh, Alumni Weekend would want to talk, tell some Danny Nee stories. And, you know, once again, big thanks to Gary Sharp for spending some time with me on the pod today. But that's a look back at Rutgers, a little look ahead to Northwestern. Really important game for Nebraska on Saturday afternoon at PBA. And, you know, and then they got the quick turnaround, a little two-day prep uh, before Ohio State comes to Lincoln. Uh, so thanks again for tuning in. Uh, follow the show on social media at Pod if you have not already. 
And you can email the show any questions, concerns, debates, or declarative statements like we got all over Twitter after the game on Wednesday. Stretchbigpodcast at gmail.com. Be sure to rate um, on your podcast platform. If it allows you to rate Spotify, Apple, wherever, uh, leave a rating. Uh, Leave a review. Uh, Really helpful for me. Uh, Friend of the program, Brandon Vogel, would call it Do Do Your Podcast Chores. Um, so if you feel so inclined, leave a review. If you've been sticking with me this entire uh, way so far, feel free to go rate, leave a review. And if, if you're new, if you saw Gary's on the show and you want to check the show out, follow us, subscribe. It's very much appreciated. Um, I, yeah, I've been really fun doing this, and now we're, I'm going to start bringing on some guests. I wanted to see. I wanted to get through ten of just me, and people have actually liked it. But now we're going to try and. Uh, take advantage of some of my uh, some of my friends, former co-workers and you know, some people who can uh, add a little juice, a little spice to the pod from here on out. So thanks again everybody for tuning in and I will talk to you next week. Have a great weekend everybody.